Walk in the Breaking Doctrine, presented to you by the Combined Arms Doctrine Directorate at the Combined Arms Center at Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. The views expressed here are those of the individual and do not represent the views of the Combined Arms Center, U.S. Army, or U.S. Government. Welcome to Breaking Doctrine, a U.S. Army Combined Arms Center podcast on emerging doctrine and the Army's vision of warfare. Hello, I'm Major Lisa Becker, and this podcast topic is the FM390 Writing Team Talks, The Updates, focusing on updates and changes in the recent rewrite of FM390 Tactics. We welcome the primary writers of FM390, Lieutenant Colonel Reed Bergrabe and Major A.J. Redden, who serve in the Tactics Division of CAD. Gentlemen, welcome back to the show. Happy to be here. Thank you. In episode 42, we took a behind-the-scenes look at the rewrite of FM390, drilled down into tactics, talked the differences in the 390 series of Army publications, and reviewed the tactical taxonomy. Today, we will dive more into the updates and changes of FM390, and hopefully we'll give you listeners a better understanding of why the updates were written. Gentlemen, readers can quickly see from the introduction that there are a number of major changes and a long list of terms that have changed. If my math is right, there are 109 modified terms, 15 terms no longer defined, and 23 new terms. I'd like to hear how your team decided to overhaul these terms or what the conversations were in your office on changing terms. Yeah, so really it was two things. Uh, One, some of the terms that were updated uh, was just FM390 catching up with changes to terminology that had been happened that had occurred since the last time the book was published so capturing changes from other publications or updates from FM30 um, and making sure we incorporated those Um, the other one the other part was when we were reviewing and updating the terms we wanted to make sure that we were accurately defining a term by providing focus clarity and conciseness to the definition Um, and really that boils down to defining the term versus describing the term. Uh, And what we found was some of our definitions had gotten very lengthy, uh, and it is because we started including descriptions of what it was talking about and not just defining the term itself. So uh, my favorite personal example from FM390 was counter, the definition of counterattack. In the book, it was about five lines of text. Um, But when you boiled it all down, really it was, Four of those lines were a description of what a counterattack is and not actually defining counterattack. So it's not that we, in a lot of cases, got rid of um, the language. We just didn't bold it in the book anymore, as, as an example. So the description is still within FM390 for a lot of these terms, but it's just a description now. It's not part of the formal definition of the term itself. So hopefully making it clear, making it easier to understand. We don't need super long, lengthy definitions. That's not helpful to, to anyone in our view. Since we're talking operational terms, and often those are linked with graphics or military symbols, I'm interested in hearing about what symbols were updated and why your team developed these symbols. I don't think we updated any symbols. I think for the most part, what we did, again, we made sure everything was there. We found a couple of typos or things that I forgot about or somehow fell through the cracks. On previous versions, we sort of brought those back. But then we also um, created a new section called Planning Symbols. Um, what we realized as, as people do their code statement and sketches, 
They had no way of showing variations of the offense or the defense on their map, showing that intent, what they're trying to do. Um, we create those symbols, and that's now an option to use when doing your, your COA statement, your, your COA sketches, I'm sorry, as you're doing things, or even putting on your graphics to do things. So those, those are new, um, and throughout the book, you'll see those pulled up uh, as you're looking at things. I think what's important to highlight, specifically for you know the, the forms of maneuver or the, and for the types of offense and defensive operations, those aren't control measures. Um, they're just a, a way to graphically depict something. So um, that's why we, we bend them underneath the, the planning symbols you know, bucket as opposed to incorporating them into control measures because we don't want people to think that those are now control measures that you know, actually controls, control something when that's not really what they're there for. So in the past, yeah, you hear intent graphics versus control measures, and we wrestle what what to actually call them. I think we stuck, finished up calling them planning symbols. Is I think what we ended up calling them as looking at things. But yeah, they don't control anything, but they're showing how you intent, how you plan, what you're trying to do. Compared to a boundary, that's a control measure that stops you from fire, that stops you from maneuvering, that controls things as you're looking. So there is a difference between the two ideas. Thanks. And I'm tracking that you've sent those to um, get published in FM 1-02.2. We're just kind of waiting. The new version of FM 390 also introduced a tactical framework. I would appreciate if you walk us through this framework and the thought process behind building the tactical framework. Yeah, so as we were going through it, and one of the things we noticed, so we, we have you know, a strategic framework, we have an operational framework, but we didn't have this, anything that kind of mirrored it or that said tactical framework. Um, in the old versions of FM390, you know, we had you know, gain and maintain enemy contact, disrupt the enemy, fix the enemy, maneuver and follow through, but we were inconsistent in the language that we used, even inside of the FM390 series on what that meant. You know, when you're in the offensive chapters in that book, it was the maneuver process. When you went to the defense chapters, it was execution steps. Um, so what we did was um, we came up with a, the tactical framework, and now we use that framework throughout to discuss all, all offensive and defensive operations throughout FM390. Um, and the tactical framework is just find, fix, finish, and follow through. Um, and really, it's a way to help leaders visualize operations and organize their force. Um, Inherent to the framework is, the, is this idea of combined, is the idea of combined arms. Um, you know, not that uh, one single arm or branch or warfighting function can do anything. It takes everybody pulling together um, in order to do that. And we expand for each of the discussions inside of, for offense and defense in 390 on it. But what we don't want the tactical framework to turn into is a phasing construct. Um, for how you for how you do operations, it's it's just a mental model to help people think through how to execute tactical actions regardless of the echelon that that they're in that they're that they're currently at. So it's as applicable to a squad leader on the ground thinking through a, a specific tactical problem that he's got, all the way up to you know someone on the on a division or core staff going, hmm, how do I how can I wrestle with this tactical problem that I'm trying to solve right now? Um, but again. The, our intent was never to make it a phasing construct of phase one is find the enemy, phase two is fix the enemy. That, it's just a mental model. Mm -hmm. That's it. Have you gotten any feedback from the force yet on this tactical framework? No, not yet, but we're only you know, a few weeks since it's been published. So, um. 
Yeah, we'll see. I think, I think it's uh, too early to tell. I also want to talk about Chapter 19, Tactical Deception, or TACD. FM 3-13.4, Army Support to Military Deception, was the proponent for tactical deception, but FM 390 is now the tactical deception proponent. What were the conversations in your office or across organizations to move TACD into FM 390? So when we talk TACD, what we're really talking about is trickery and surprise. Uh, it's trying to change it away from that, that mill deck where I got to go to military reception school. It's a joint operation. It's, it's classified the highest levels. This is anything I'm trying to do to make, make it where I can't be found. And if I'm found, where I can't be hit. Try and make things simple and achieve surprise. Uh, so that's, that's really what we're trying to do. And by making enabling operations, it's helping people think about it more and getting that back into the, the lexicon. Uh, how we think and talk and do operations. Um, yeah, we're, we're trying TACD again. That's I mean every echelon's got to do it and working together. And, and so having it in the military deception manual, it's in the right place for it. And I got to follow up again. I think I got to check. I think three thirteen, the new information book. I'm actually taking tactical deception from us also as a proponent for it in the future. So um, TACD is a very uh, discussed about thing now. I think deception and talking about it and achieving surprise and that trickery, if you will. Um, is gaining, especially as we're watching what's going on in Ukraine right now, um, how we think about it and how we talk about it in doctrine, uh, I think that's still being worked through as we talk. Sir, you kind of talked a few of the differences between MILDEC and TACTI. Um, I think, you know, one being, one difference that stands out is MILDEC is supposed to be executed at the combatant command level. Uh, are there any other differences or similarities um, that you can articulate to the listeners? Yeah, so I'll hit the differences first. Uh, and you hit one, you know, MILDEC is, by its very nature, a joint activity, and it has to adhere to, you know, theater-level instructions that are outlined in, in different Army regulations. Um, TACD does not have to tie into any kind of military deception, joint military deception operation. Um, it's something that you know a company commander, um, with it, whatever capabilities and, and resources he has at his disposal, can, can try and do, um, using things like camouflage, concealment, um, opsec stuff like that. Um, as far as similarities, I think Colonel Bergrave hit it on the head. It, it, really, it's about you're, you're trying to achieve surprise. How can I cause confusion or increase um, the ambiguity for the enemy? You know, for for, for my enemy, and, and how can I make him? hesitate for you know a minute or a certain period of time that might afford me an advantage um, moving forward mm -hmm. yeah MILDEC is a again a synchronized effort multi-echelon is doing large things tac d is something that every echelon has to be able to do uh, and the more the more echelons do it the more it compounds have that system of systems effect offsetting your antennas that's doing tac d camouflaging properly both vertically and horizontally as you're trying to do camouflage, that's TACD. TACD is a large variety of things. Why it can't be an operation like a feint or a demonstration, but it's, a lot of it's the means, the physical means of doing something to make the enemy again, not find you. If they do find you, making them miss. That's that's really got to be the focus of TACD. You can't. You don't have to go to school to get trained on it. Everyone gets trained at every school they go to about TACD and that trickery and, and achieving surprise. I think that kind of bleeds into one of our imperatives in FM30. The imperative 
that we must account for being under constant observation in all forms of enemy contact. Um, I think that might be one of the hardest imperatives to action um, in today's environment. Other than what you just talked about, sir, of being deliberate with the deception, how do you address this imperative in FM 390? So we, we, we include and describe the different forms of contact, but we also, in line with FM 30, we, we added influence as, as a form of contact. Um, and it really gets after that imperative of being under constant observation. Um, and what we try to highlight in FM 390 is that um, just because you, you know, one, acknowledge that you're under constant observation, but two, that, that shouldn't cause you to like freeze up and, and not take action. Um, but it should, it should make you think about taking discipline actions and what can you do to help mitigate enemy contact that's, going, that's against you, regardless of the form of contact that it's taking or, or the form of contact that it is. Um, some of the things, is, you know, field craft, camouflage, masking, deception like we just talked about, um, among other things. So we, we acknowledge it and then we try to identify some minute steps that, that tactical level formations can take to, to try and offset some of these, some of those forms of contact. But something we also realize though is, as you briefly mentioned, in this version of FM390, this is the first time a, a form of contact is defined and described. So before, um, if I want to create a space contact or a cyber contact or you know, underwater contact, there's, there's all different people are trying to use forms of contact uh, to meet the agendas they're trying to push. And so we try to define and describe it so people understand, hey, here's what, con here's what contact is. Here's what it looks like, here's what it sounds like, and here's what it means as you're looking at it. And in that process, uh, we sort of uh, found, if, for lack of a better term, a, a new form of contact influence. So that's out there. Again, I don't, I don't see people yelling that in combat, hey, influence 500 meters, 12 o'clock, you know, and doing something. But it's a way to describe the problem of, of what's going on in social media, uh, what's going on to family members back home when, when soldiers are deployed. It's giving soldiers a tool they can use to help describe what's going on. So that's, that's changing. Uh, as we leave, we're being observed from fort to port and port to theater uh, that soldiers have a means of conveying what's going on and describing the environment. One word that you use is interaction um, with reference to contact um, in the book. And I really like how that implies that there's more than one party involved. And, you know, it's not, it I think helps more encompass all of the different forms. Can you expand on that? Yeah, I mean, one of the big things is using a form of contact. You know where something's coming from, what's being done to you. You know, if you're getting direct fire, that means something's, something can see you probably, a visual contact and direct contact with you, and you're in a weapons range of systems. And so it helps you think about that. Uh, is why we don't have an audio contact. Audio is hard to describe what's going on with it. Sound echoes in urban environments. Um, things sound differently. If I ask someone where an explosion happened, you know, people always point in different directions as you're trying to figure something out sometimes. So having, just because you hear something, yeah, you're having audio contact, but what, what can you do with it? You can't really action off of it compared to direct fire, indirect fire, the other traditional forms of contact, if you will. Mm -hmm. And that interaction you talk about it, uh, again, if, if you don't have contact and the enemy doesn't have contact to you, well, guess what? Both of you guys are doing a meeting engagement as you're trying to find each other and developing that, that contact and moving to contact. Hence the name of that operation. 
<laughs> Another change that listeners will see in the new FM390 pertains to actions on contact. What was the thought process behind changing the actions on contact process from five steps to four steps? So besides being one better and only being four steps compared to five, what we realized we looked at it, there's, there's some confusion between actions on contact and react to contact. React to contact is a basic battle drill that when you're in contact, and especially direct fire contact and indirect fire contact, that they're immediately taking to uh, seek protection, return, seek cover, and return fire. You know, that's, that's part of the battle drill and stuff that happens. And that's, that's out there and already well described. Uh, as you start looking at the, the old version, it starts talking about choosing a course of action. Well, when you talk about course of action, now you're thinking, when I hear COA, that's talking about MDMP. That's a larger process. That's a thinking process. It's planning. That's planning. Not executing. Uh, so we're not, we're not looking at doing a, a course of action. So, again, it's called actions on contact. It's one of the things we did. The first thing that's going to happen, say I got a dismount platoon moving. My lead element, my lead fire team, is coming under direct fire contact. Only that fire team is reacting to contact. They're seeking cover, returning fire, doing immediate actions that is initiated by an enemy trigger of them engaging them. The rest of that platoon is doing actions on contact. They're, the initial element's reacting. Everybody else is trying to develop the situation. The leader is going to choose an action to take. You know, it's in the name of the action on contact. They're going to take an action. He's going to execute and report. Now, the only caveat we sort of threw in, there's a 3A. If that action um, affects your higher scheme maneuver, that's something you've got to report up and, and describe. Normally, actions on contact is something you're going to be doing on your own. Um, but unless it affects somebody else, so that's great. You're going along, you find an obstacle, and you start breaching and committing the battalion's breach asset. Great job, platoon leader. That might have changed what's going on without the bosses knowing about it, without the battalion commander or your company commander. So that key is reporting up to hire and being understanding where you fit in the scheme. It may be the right call. It may not be. But you have that conversation of hire before you commit assets that are outside your control. And we sort of try to describe when those cases are applicable when they're not. Um, we don't want this to slow things down. Uh, again, it should flow the same way as the other. It's just really just wording making things cleaner and hopefully simpler and easier to understand uh, for the forces that are working things. I think the other thing we noticed is it, when you looked in uh, the old FN3-9-1 was the discussion was entirely catered around forward security forces, um, which is accurate and, and true to a degree, but actions on contact is something that's applicable to everyone, regardless of what echelon you're at or what type of organization you are, it's, it's the same. So we tried to make the discussion broader and less uh, overly descriptive on one very small segment of, of the force and make it applicable to all of the force. Thanks. Gentlemen, are there any other changes that you want to highlight to listeners today? Yeah, so I, the first one is, uh, Engagement area development. So uh, this was kind of a late uh, find right before is right before we got ready to publish. But uh, we found uh, or was brought to our attention you know, inconsistencies within our own doctrine on the, how different publications ordered the steps of EA development, uh, specifically in relation to you know when do you where does position subordinate forces and weapon systems planning and integrating fires and planning and integrating obstacles fall into that, that um, the EA development process. Um, 
So we revised the discussion in noting that you know, obstacle, we use obstacles to reinforce our direct and indirect fire plans. Um, and depending on a multitude of different factors, um, those specific steps that I just, that I just mentioned can, can occur simultaneously or, or in varying order. Um, but we, tried, we wanted to make it so that we captured that change in that language inside of FM390 so that when the subordinate ATPs go through and revise their, their publications, now that FM390 has been published, we're all talking in the same language um, consistently throughout the force so that we didn't have you know, the engineer publication saying one thing, a you know, infantry platoon and squad publication saying something different. Now you know, we've reestablished a baseline in FM390 that, that everyone can, can use. I think another thing we need to talk about and highlight uh, for the force is probably different, it might be slightly confusing, um, is, is this concept called assigned areas. Um, in the most recent pass, the only thing a unit could get ever was an, an area of operations. But we've expanded that dialogue a little bit. Now we're, there's really three things you're looking at, uh, an area of operations, a zone, or a sector. Um, an area of operations, uh, based on civilian operations done for the past 20 years in Afghanistan and Iraq, came through these amoeba-looking devices that was given to a unit based on where they're, they're located at. Um, that doesn't help in large-scale combat. An area of operations you're looking at large-scale combat has two lateral boundaries, has a front boundary and a rear boundary, and it's sort of squares as part of a larger fight. And so it's being tied together and working together uh, as you're doing things. But as you look at boundaries, boundaries um, by default control fire and maneuver. And so um, if you're on the attack and you have a forward boundary, uh, your ability to use direct fires and indirect fires across that boundary is hindered. Um, it's constrained as you're doing it. You can still do it, but it takes some extra steps as you're looking at it. And so if you're in the offense, uh, you have a zone where that, instead of having a front boundary, you have your, two, still have your lateral boundary, still have your rear boundary. Now you're using other fire and other maneuver control measures to control your fires maneuvers. Much, hopefully much easier to understand and use and much more flexible and ability to achieve mutual support and integration and synchronization of fires as you're going forward. Uh, in the defense, it's called a, a sector. And the same thing, everybody already knows how to do sector sketches. Uh, no change in the idea how you're looking at things, uh, but just showing on a larger scale that can be done uh, given an operation where you have that, those two lateral boundaries and a rear boundary, and the front's open and controlled by movement, other fire and movement control measures. Things such as a limit of advance, a CFL, uh, what have you. And the, the last one that I think we want to cover is uh, troop movement. So we, we mentioned in the, that we, we have modified the taxonomy um, of, of troop movement in, in the previous episode. Um, and what we found was we weren't clear in our language um, uh, when we were talking about troop movement. So we revised the taxonomy, and, and we think it's now easier to understand. Um, generally speaking, there, there, you have tactical movements and non-tactical movements inside of, you know, and we view non-tactical movements uh, very broadly as, you know, going from fort to get to the theater, non-tactical non, non movement. You can, um, and then once you enter into a theater, now you're talking tactical movements, right? Um, inside of tactical movements, we, d we decided there was three variations, uh, the approach march, the force march, and the tactical road march. The key thing to think about, like, you know, we're turning, again, you know, we talk about taxonomy is how we started last episode off with. Um, we're changing the words, but it's not changing how we do operations. It, 
if you've been a soldier trained anywhere in the system right now, all this isn't new. It's just a different word being applied to it. Now, hopefully it makes things easier to understand, uh, but, but it's not new. It's not revolutionary. It's just evolutionary. It's trying to make things simpler, try and make things cleaner. And, that, and that's really the bottom line, what our focus was for us, a version of FM390. Take what we're currently doing, make it easy to understand, make sure it's nested of FM30, going to multi-main operations, and help soldiers understand it better as we're going forward. That's the bottom line at the end. Sorry about that. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us on another episode of Breaking Doctrine. Just like writing new doctrine is a team effort, Breaking Doctrine takes a team. Without the Career and Special Doctrine Division here at CAD, we wouldn't be able to bring you this show. Our production is coordinated by Mr. Ted Crisco, and our editing and sound is provided by Captain Wyatt Harper. Please don't forget to subscribe on Google, Apple, or Spotify podcasts, and follow us on social media at U.S. Army Doctrine to get updates on new podcast episodes, Doctrine Digest videos, and publications. Finally, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the official position of the United States Army, the U.S. Army Training and Doctrine Command, or the Combined Arms Center. I'm Major Lisa Becker, and this has been Breaking Doctrine.